If you're interested in our divorce care ministry, there's some more details about that on our website. Please take your Bible and turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. As you do, allow me to share with you some wisdom from the CEO of the insurance company, Aflac. Aflac is one of the largest providers of guaranteed renewable insurance in the United States of America and the largest insurance company in Japan. 20 years ago, however, things were very different at the company Aflac, where Daniel P. Amos worked as their CEO, their chief executive. That's when he decided to take this huge risk with a novel ad campaign that would poke fun at their own company's name. Uh, Those TV commercials would feature an obnoxious white duck often getting injured and then loudly quacking, Aflac, Aflac, Aflac. And that's when this little-known business soon became a household name. Aflac's stagnant United States sales doubled between 1999 and 2003. And today it's one of the most recognizable and successful ad campaigns of all time. Amos told the Wall Street Journal that leading a company always involves taking risks. He said, I like to manage risks since everything we do is risk-related. And then he said this, if you avoid risks... You are really not taking a broad enough perspective for a company to succeed. If you're not taking any risks, that's not a broad enough perspective. So can I ask you a personal question this morning? How do you relate to risk? How do you relate to this whole topic of risk? Are you the type of person that likes to avoid risk altogether? Are you the type of person that likes to play it safe? Do you, do you freeze with panic in the face of any kind of risk? Do you faint and play possum in the face of any kind of risk? Or do you enjoy a little risk-taking once in a while and you, you like to get on the big roller coaster? You like to do the free-fall drop. You, you like to take a little risk once in a while. You're kind of an evil Knievel uh, with a little bit of a, a risky side to you. How do you relate to risk? I was reading this magazine article in Time magazine about how human beings are actually really poor at risk management. The article said we have a confounding habit of worrying about mere possibilities while simultaneously ignoring the probabilities of building barricades against perceived dangers while leaving ourselves exposed to the real dangers of life. For example... They said there's the white-knuckle airplane flyer who routinely chooses the car when traveling long distances, heedless of the fact that at most a few hundred people die on commercial airline crashes every year, compared to 44,000 people that are killed in car crashes every single year. Or the article mentioned that we tend to wring our hands over things like the mad cow pathogen that might be, but almost certainly isn't in our hamburger meat Yet we worry far less about the cholesterol that contributes to the heart disease that kills 700,000 of us annually. Shoppers will look askance at a bag of spinach for fear of E. coli bacteria while simultaneously filling their carts with fat-sodden french fries and salt-crusted nachos. And so we put filters on our faucets, and we install air ionizers in our homes, and we lather ourselves with antibacterial soap, but at the same time, 20% of all adults still smoke, 30% of drivers don't use seatbelts, and two-thirds of us are overweight or obese. In short, shadowed by peril as we are, you would think we'd get pretty good at distinguishing the risks likeliest to do us in from the ones that are statistical long shots 
and you would be wrong about that. Risk is something that the scriptures speak to and acknowledge quite openly, along with the issues involved. That's what our passage is about today in chapter 11. Before I get to chapter 11, I want to just put the car in reverse and read a couple of verses from chapter 10 to kind of get our appetite wet for this subject. I want you to look at these couple verses from chapter 10 and see if you can pick out the one word in here that's used four different times in this section. Solomon says, whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stones may be injured by them. Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. Did you catch that one word that's repeated four times? It's the word maybe. It may happen. Maybe. That's the word for risk. Remember, here's what Solomon has been saying throughout this book of Ecclesiastes. It's a fallen world. It's better to be wise than foolish. But wisdom will only give you an edge. It will not give you immunity. Wisdom is good, but as a Christian, you have to also consider bad possibilities that could happen to you in your life. I say that because sometimes I listen to prosperity teachers on the television, and they make it sound like living the Christian life and following the Lord Jesus guarantees me of a life of prosperity and blessing 100% of the time. No risk, no sickness, no suffering. If you know God, nothing bad will happen to you. Friends, that's okay. I guess if you live on the planet Pluto, that's not reality, and that's not the scriptures. And so we're talking about risk here and how we manage that even as we follow God. Now let me back up a step further and ask this question, what is risk? When we use that word, what exactly are we talking about? Well, one dictionary defined risk this way, risk is simply the possibility of something bad happening. That's the possibility of something bad happening. In other words, in other words, risk exists because our plans don't always involve a guarantee. Risk exists because there are things like failures, there are things like disasters, there are things like accidents. In the business world, we often say risk is the percentage chance that the ROI will be lower than expected. That's risk. And so risk is something we calculate, and risk is something that we manage as we consider any new venture. And we often hear about the percentage of risk. People say, well, that's not going to happen. It's one in a million. I always hear that, and I'm like, what if you're the one? Like, for you, it's 100% risk. I'm not sure what you mean by that, one in a million. Like, for you, it's not good. And so how do we relate to this topic? How do you relate to risk? What do we do in the face of risk? Do we withdraw? Do we hide? Do we cower? Do we tremble? Do we retreat? Do we throw caution to the wind? Well, Solomon is going to teach us today that we need to risk with wisdom. And that's what chapter 11 is all about, a biblical perspective on risk. And you'll see three different parts to the passage. First, we're going to see the reality of risk, and then we'll see the aversion to risk and then we'll see the danger of risking nothing at all, the reality of risk, the aversion to risk, and the danger of risking nothing at all. So that's where we're headed. Why don't we pray? God, we thank you so much for preserving this text, and we ask that you would now speak to us, our ears and eyes and hearts uh, long to be open to you. And for my friends here today who maybe are needing wisdom you uh, give us a promise in your word that if anyone lacks wisdom, we could ask of you and that you would give it to us generously and without finding fault. And so would you do that today? Would you share with us your wisdom from your word? That's what we would ask. And may we be wiser and as a result of studying your scriptures here for the next few moments together. 
We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, chapter 11, verse 1 begins like this. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. The phrase cast or release your bread on the waters might sound a little strange to you. It doesn't mean like when you go fishing and you throw breadcrumbs in the lake and then the little, you know, perch and stuff come up and eat the bread and then you get more food. That's not what this means. Really, this was an image of ancient sea trade. Putting your grain onto ships which would sail away from Palestine across the Mediterranean to Rome and to Greece and to other places to do business, to sell your grain there and to gain profit back from your grain. And so this was a phrase that was used to describe business ventures in general, to invest, knowing and hoping that your investment might come back to you. There's an old expression, nothing ventured, nothing gained, right? That's what verse 1 means. Don't hoard your stuff. When you're blessed, invest it with some liberality. That's the first principle that Solomon is teaching us here. Someone once told me, Dave, you can't save your way to success. You've got to make an investment. But... Solomon is about to say in verse 2, be careful, don't invest it all in just one thing. Verse 2 says this, give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Giving to seven or to eight was a Hebrew idiom that referred to muchness. In other words, you got to spread your risk around. In other words, you got to diversify. So this is the principle of diversification. 3,000 years ago, Solomon told us, why don't you distribute your risk so that you don't put all of your eggs in one, what? Basket. This is a biblical principle. And so the second principle is not just invest with liberality, but also invest with diversity. Don't get caught up in the rush of the emotion and risk all your stuff on one thing. Don't get caught gambling and pulling the one-hand bandit and then you lose your family fortune. That's not wise. Invest with diversity. And so invest with liberality and invest with diversity. Why do we need to do that? Verse 2 tells us, you do not know. Notice that phrase. You do not know is going to be repeated four different times in our text for today. It's repeated here in verse 2, then 5, then 5 again, then 6. You don't know, you don't know, you don't know, you don't know. One of the commentators, Fox, on this passage says, quote, here Kohelet is drawing rules for human behavior based on human ignorance. And so verse 2 is telling us you don't know what disaster might happen. There's a lot of things that you don't know. When it comes to relating to risk, wisdom is willing to say, I don't know. I don't know. When it comes to risk, I've got to be able to acknowledge that because this is going to avoid the pitfall of overconfidence. Some of us need to admit that. We don't know. We like to think we know. Sometimes we like to pretend we know. Sometimes we get a little delusional with how much we think we know, but Solomon says it would be better if you would just acknowledge that you just don't know. Your honesty will be good for you, especially in business. Admit you don't know. I mean, come on, who knows? Fairly Dickinson? Did anybody have that on their bracket the other night? Did anybody choose Fairly Dickinson? Anybody? I think there's somebody here who works for Fairly. Is she here? Did you? Is Michelle here? I don't know if anybody's bracket. Prince, I think Princeton's in the Sweet 16, aren't they? Did anybody know this? Did anybody have Princeton in the Sweet 16? There are some things in life we don't know. We have to admit that we don't know these things. Our knowledge is limited. Specifically, Solomon says, your knowledge about the future is limited, right? Verse 2, you don't know what disaster might strike. So in light of those limitations... Solomon is saying you need to admit that, but don't let that lead you to despair. Rather, notice, he says, I want you to let that lead you toward investment. 
He wants, he wants you to let that lead you towards being more industrious because there's so much that you don't know. Notice, if you will, in our passage and here today, all of the commands that Solomon is giving us in our text today. There are four different imperatives in this text. Cast your bread, give a portion. And the reason is because he wants us to make sure that we don't fall into the trap of idleness. As you see on the screen, our ignorance is not an excuse for idleness. He wants us to get busy and get working. Later on, you'll see in verse 6, he's going to say, sow your seed, 6a, 6b, withhold not your hand. The point is these are all action words. These are commands. We need to work because we don't know. Now, I know we don't like that we don't know things. We are so used to thinking in terms of predictability and ease and comfort and safety and that which we know. Yet Solomon says here, it would be good if you would admit that there's also an apparent randomness about life and there's nothing, nothing, nothing you can do about that. You don't know. And to illustrate this, Solomon gives us in the next verse one of the most unpredictable aspects of this world, the weather. Look at verse 3. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. Who can predict the wind? I mean, people try, but they don't know. Sometimes I wish the people who do the local weather on the news would just admit that they don't know, right? I think that honesty would help their credibility a little bit. Like, we know you're trying, bro. We need you. We love you. But I think it would help our relationship with you if you would just admit once in a while, you don't know. Especially when you get into the five-day, the ten-day. Come on. Ten days from now, you don't know. You don't know. This is the nature of the weather. Solomon said it 3,000 years ago. Solomon says the weather can bring clouds. It can bring rain. Sometimes it can knock over a tree. In Solomon's day, both of those things could be good. Both of those things could be bad. The rain could bring a wonderful blessing to your crop and you could have a wonderful harvest or it could totally flood your field with too much rain and that might be a bad thing. The tree could fall if it falls on your property. That could be firewood. That could be used for fuel back then. That could be used for making tools or it could fall right on your house and destroy everything that you have. It's not really clear whether this is going to be a good thing or a bad thing. These are events that are outside of human control, especially we can acknowledge that with the weather. When the tree falls, there it will lie. The point is, Solomon is saying, you can't change the course of events. There it is. Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. You've got to deal with the hand that you're given. You don't get to choose certain circumstances. You've got to just play the deal that you've been dealt. And so here's kind of Solomon's argument in the first three verses. Remember, life is unfair. This is a fallen world under the sun. Wisdom is good. It's better than folly. It will give you an edge, but it will not provide you with immunity. You have to face adversity, but you can't retreat away in the face of risk. Rather, he's saying you have to factor in risk. And when you do that, you also have to get really busy because this life can be quite unpredictable. Therefore, you need to adapt to various contingencies to compensate for your ignorance by preparing for multiple eventualities. You need to adapt to various contingencies to compensate for your ignorance by preparing for multiple eventualities. That's one of the most proud statements I've ever written in my entire life. Isn't that a good statement there? (laughs) Kind of hard to understand. If that's too much for you, just remember the wisdom of Forrest Gump. Mama always said, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. 
you might get raisins. You might get a Reese's. <laughs> Why don't you let God take care of the mysteries of life and you take care of the work that he's given to you? Running the universe is God's business. Stewarding what he's given me, Dave, is my business, and I'm going to mind my own business. Movement two. We've seen the reality of risk, and now we're going to see the aversion to risk. We really can't talk about external risk without also talking about our internal attitude toward risk. Risk-taking is always linked to our inward being. Like take, for example, if someone has no fear at all, they're going to take foolish risks. Your risks will be too big. But on the other hand, if someone has too much fear, they won't risk anything, and that in and of itself will end up with foolish results as well. So too much fear brings risks that are too small, but not enough fear, not enough healthy fear, will bring risks that are too big. And so wisdom is knowing which of these risks are worth taking in my life. Not because there's certainty, but because there's a reasonable chance of success. You see, psychologists have shown that if there's an intense fear of failure, you will take far too few risks in your life. And so biblical risk-taking entails wisdom. It's a balance of both being sober-minded and being courageous at the same time. You can't let the unknown risks paralyze you, though. This is what verse 4 is about. Solomon says this, He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Verse 4 is about someone who just watches the wind, watches the clouds, always looking out the window, not very productive, not really getting out there and doing anything. If you just watch the weather channel and never go outside, you're not going to get anything done. If you're just worried about it raining, you're never going to go out there and sow your seed. If you're always just waiting for the perfect conditions, you're not going to get any work accomplished. And so the maxim here in verse 4 is that Solomon is teaching us that if, the, if you attempt to plan too meticulously for the future, that can paralyze your initiative. So this verse is teaching us about the uselessness of constant brooding, the uselessness of constant speculating. Too many Christians freeze because they don't know exactly what God wants them to do in every circumstance. I emphasize that because they get stuck in what's called the paralysis of analysis. If you think there's only one right choice in every single area of your life, even if it's the restaurant menu choices, it's going to paralyze you. Am I going to have peanut butter and jelly or BLT? What if God doesn't care? Just choose something to eat. Whatever you choose in that specific situation, God will work with that, right? But when people buy into this kind of thinking where every single decision is critical, then every decision becomes epic. Every decision becomes blown way out of proportion, and it has to be perfect. And they hesitate, and they overthink and overthink and overthink in their Christian life. They're afraid. They're afraid of making the wrong choice, and they're afraid of the choice that they make after they have made that, that they have made the wrong choice. And they're really going to mess up in life if they're always just paralyzed here in this state of analysis. I found a story about this. It was kind of a funny story by Dr. Seuss called The Zode in the Road. I thought, that, I thought it would be fun to just pause for a second and have a little story time with you. So I think that you'll enjoy this Dr. Seuss piece. It's about this guy that can't make up his mind. So take a breath, enjoy a little story time with Pastor Dave. <laughs> Did I tell you about the young Zode who came to two signs in the fork of the road? He looked one way and the other way too. The Zode had to make up his mind what to do. Well, the Zode scratched his head 
and his chin and his pants. And he said to himself, I'll be taking a chance. If I go to place one, that place may be hot. So how will I know if I'll like it or not? On the other hand, though, I'll feel such a fool if I go to place two and find it's too cool. In that case, I may catch a chill and turn blue. So place one may be best and not place two. On the other hand, though, if place one is too hot, I might get a terrible earache and die. On the other hand, though, if place two is too low, I might get some terrible pain in my toe. So place one may be best, and he started to go. Then he stopped and he said, on the other hand, though, on the other hand, other hand, other hand, though, for 36 hours and one half that zode made starts and made stops at the fork in the road, saying, no, don't take a chance. It may not be right. Then he got an idea that was wonderfully bright. Play safe, cried the zode. I'll play safe. I'm no dunce. I'll simply start off to both places at once. And that's how the Zode, who would not take a chance, went no place at all with a split in his pants. <laughs> Story time with Pastor Dave. Have you ever felt like the Zode in the road? I think a lot of times people are very risk averse, even followers of God. I talk to young guys who tell me about their dreams of the future, of having a wife and have a having a family maybe someday, but they're also very concerned about it. As they look around at the world today and everything going on, they're worried about bringing children into a world like this. And what happens is they kind of vapor lock right there. They're frozen because of the chance of what could happen, afraid to indulge in a lot of the blessings of life because of the possibility of bad things that could happen. And so there can be a paralysis at this fork in the road. There can be like an agoraphobia, the agora is the marketplace. It's like a fear of the marketplace, a fear of what's out there, a fear of what you can't control, a fear of what could happen. But the problem with all of this thinking is that we weren't meant to be in complete control of everything. There are certain burdens that are not ours to carry. There are certain burdens that are only God's to carry. We don't know so, so, so many things. And this is what Solomon emphasizes in the next verse. Take a look at verse 5. Solomon says, as you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Again, verse 5 is highlighting all that we don't know. We really don't know how a baby is formed perfectly in the womb. We don't know the work of God. We don't know these things, but God does. And he is the one in charge of what we don't know. He is sovereign. Now, in the ancient world, they did not believe in this exactly. Typically, in Solomon's day, they believed in something called fate or fatalism. You might remember in high school reading the story Oedipus the King. Remember that story? Remember there was a prophecy in Oedipus's life where he would kill his dad, and he tried to do everything he possibly could not to make that prophecy come true and not to kill his dad, but lo and behold, at the end of the story, he ends up killing his dad. And so the moral of that story and the way of thinking in those days with fatalism is you can't escape your fate. No matter what you do, this is your destiny and it's going to happen. That's not what the scripture teaches about the sovereignty of God. The scripture teaches that, yes, God is in control, but also we human beings make free choices. And those two things come together in a compatible way. And so God is in control. But even the Westminster Confession of Faith says that God also works through secondary causes one of those things are human choices. And so God is sovereign, yes, but the sovereignty of God should never cause me to lean on my shovel and pray for a hole. 
the sovereignty of God is not there to have me escape from my responsibility. Me engaging with my responsibility may be the means by which God's plan comes to pass. There's a story about this in the book of Acts. It's a little confusing. Paul is on a ship. He's going to Rome as a prisoner. There's this huge storm, and then there's this shipwreck, and everybody's scared, and an angel comes to the apostle Paul and says, God has promised that you're going to make it. Everybody on this ship is going to survive. And then Paul tells the rest of the sailors and the rest of the crew, good news, we're going to make it. An angel has appeared to me. Everything's going to be fine. And then a little while later, Paul notices that some of the sailors are trying to escape the ship by getting on this one lifeboat. And Paul says, you've got to stop those guys from escaping. If they escape, then we're not going to be saved. Now, which one is it? Is God promise, promising us that we're going to be saved or, or are we responsible for having this thing work out? And, and Paul says, you know what? It's both. God has given you this promise. But Paul is giving them a warning, saying, if you do this, you won't survive. And so their human actions become the means by which the promise is fulfilled. This is the way the scriptures work together with God's sovereignty and human responsibility, which means what you do matters, which means you are responsible for your decisions, which is why this is so scary, because I think intuitively we know this. And so we have to trust God that he really is sovereign, and we also have to get busy stewarding what he has given us to do. St. Augustine used to say, pray like everything depended upon God, and then work like everything depends on you. Pray like a Calvinist, work like an Arminian. For example, if you're single and you want to be married, let me tell you what you need to do. You should trust in God's sovereignty, and you should also brush your teeth. You should also get out there and meet some other godly single people wherever they gather. Don't take an overly passive approach to following God's will. That's not going to work. And some people say, well, I will know it's God's will if I put in no effort and it just happens here without me trying at all. Yeah, Pastor Dave, I want to be married, but God's going to bring my Prince Charming right to my doorstep. I'm trusting God. Listen, sweetheart, <laughs> unless you want to marry the DoorDash guy <laughs> or the FedEx guy or a Jehovah's Witness, I don't know who's coming to your door. I suggest that you get out there and meet some people. That's probably going to be the way it works out. The issue that we have to deal with when it comes to risk is twofold. We have to deal with fear and control. Fear and control. If you go to the next slide, you see these two things on the screen. They're both related, right? We fear because our lack of control, and we try to get really controlling because we're afraid. And so let's deal with how the Bible deals with both of those things. First, control. The Bible teaches that the way to deal with control is by humbling myself. The issue is i got to acknowledge that I don't know, that I can't really manage all this stuff. 3,000 years ago, Solomon is telling me four times in a row, you don't know, you don't know, you don't know, you don't know. God is God. You're not God. Humble yourself and recognize you're not the one in charge, Dave. You can't manage everything. God's in control. You're not. There's one who can manage all this. His name is Jesus Christ. You can trust him. He's always good all the time. All the time, he's always good. That's the first biblical principle behind control. The second issue with fear, I think, is even more difficult for us to grapple with. When it comes to fear, the issue with risk is sometimes when we risk and we lose, we take that as a statement about our worth and about our identity, and that's why we're so terrified. 
And so what we have to do with regards to fear is we have to relocate our identity, not in our possessions, not in our risks turning out well, not in our accomplishments, but only in our relationship with God. If God is our true asset, if he's the one that we have in our, in our core of our being, if belonging to him is the most important thing in our lives, then that true asset is never in danger. That true asset is never at risk. That true asset can never be taken away from you. And so we don't need to be afraid. John picked out a song that we're going to sing later that speaks to this reality. And here's some of the verses in that perfect song. The writer says, My worth is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone. My worth is not in skill or name, in win or lose, in pride or shame. As summer flowers we fade and die, fame, youth, and beauty hurry by. I will not boast in wealth or might or human wisdom's fleeting light. So I will boast in knowing Christ at the cross. This is the asset in your life that can never be taken away from you, no matter what happens. God is your greatest asset, and it's never in jeopardy. His perfect love casts out fear. That's how you deal with fear. And this leads us to movement three. So we've talked about the reality of risk. We've talked about our aversion to risk and how to deal with fear and control. Third, we need to talk about the danger of risking nothing at all. So we tend to think if we can avoid all risk, we tend to think that we can avoid the cost of risk-taking by not risking, but ironically, that's actually the most risky decision that you would ever make. There is no reward without risk. So this passage today is talking about investing our finances, but it's not just about our finances. This passage is about living our life to the full. When Solomon says, cast your bread and give a portion, those are images of fearless generosity that, that apply not just to money, but a, the, they apply to giving of yourself, to giving of your talent, to giving of your time. And so author David Gibson says on this passage, quote, wise living here means sitting loose to all of life and all of my possessions. So I take the best of what I have, my time, talent, and treasure, and all that I am, and I give it away. I have to hold them with open hands and open hearts to God and others. Phil Riken said it this way. He said, we should be venture capitalists for the kingdom of God. This is what Paul teaches, right? Invest in others. And then later, they're going to make an investment back in you. This passage is not just talking about business and money, though those, those topics are relevant here. They're also talking about all of life. John Wesley said, having first gained all you can, then save all you can, and then give all you can. The riskiest thing you could do is not risking anything. You remember one time Jesus told a story about the talents? There's a parable in the Gospel of Matthew. And Jesus said, it's like a master. And he gave some talents to these three workers. And he says, I'm going to go away and I want you to do business for me while I'm gone. So he gives a talent back then was like a weight of gold. He gives one talent to one guy, five to another guy, and he gives ten to another guy. And then the master goes away, and he says, I want you to do business for me while I'm gone. And then the master comes back many years later after a long time, which means after a lifetime. After a long time, the master comes back, and, and two guys had doubled their money, and the third guy had taken his gold, and he buried it in the ground. And Jesus comes back, and he says, you wicked servant. Now, what did he do that was so bad? What did he do that was so wicked? The answer is Nothing. He's saying doing nothing is what's wicked. 
Not risking anything is the most risky thing you could ever do. It's dangerous in every area. Just think about some areas. Friendships. Friendships are great. But how many of us have had friends that have betrayed us and stabbed us in the back? It could happen. That's the way it is. What's the alternative? Not have friendships? That's not good. You own a good business? All right. The fact is, you might have people underneath of you that besmirch your reputation and don't put in a full day's work for a full day's wage. That could happen to you. That's a risk if you own a business. What's the alternative? Not pursuing your dreams in business? That's not good. Marriage. Isn't marriage wonderful? Yes, it is. However, there might be also times of pain and hurt. That's why the vow says, for better or for worse. If you want a life with no pain, you better not get married because there's risk there. Kids. Kids are wonderful, yeah. But there may also be difficulty when they're young and cute and compliant. Things are great, and then they turn 13. (laughs) That's life. Solomon says, in light of that, what are you going to do? Not take any risks? You're going to miss out on all of these blessings. And so Solomon says, why don't you live your life anyway? Why don't you put yourself out there anyway? Why don't you cast your bread anyway? Why don't you love anyway? Alfred Lloyd Tennyson famously wrote it this way, I hold it true, whate'er befall, I feel it when I sorrow most, tis better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. C.S. Lewis said it well, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it up carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love it all is to be vulnerable. So the alternative to risk, a commitment to absolute safety, is actually the riskiest way for you to live. So what do we do? Solomon tells us in verse 6 what you do. This is the solution to the passage about risk. One more verse, chapter 11, verse 6. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, and whether both alike will be Good. Solomon here is saying, in spite of all of the risk that you see in front of you, in spite of all the uncertainty that you notice in your life, get to work. Be industrious with all that God has given you. Yes, there's uncertainties. Yes, there's risk. But don't withdraw. Let those uncertainties of your life make you even more faithful every day, every month, every year. The phrase in the morning and even in the evening means in the beginning of your life and at the end of your life. Keep on sowing. Keep on giving. Keep on investing all that God has given to you all the way to the end. So how do we apply this text? Solomon says, yeah, there's risk, but go for it. Or to use a less eloquent phrase from the Civil War, darn the torpedoes, full speed ahead. This is what verse 6 is teaching us. Get after it. You just live. You just do good. Be bold. Burn the ships. Pull the trigger. Let the chips fall. You can't run from life. You remember the words of Teddy Roosevelt? It's not the critic who counts. 
It's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who spends himself on a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. A few years ago, I saw this movie, Gattaca. Maybe you saw that. It's a movie about the future. And it's about where people one day are going to be discriminated against because of their DNA. And it tells the story about these two men, Vincent and Anton. Anton has the right DNA. Vincent, it's what's, he's what's called an invalid or an invalid. And as brothers, as sibling rivalry often happens, as they grow up, they often challenge each other in these games of chicken in which they both swim out into the ocean as far as they possibly dare, and the first one to turn back is the loser in the game. Vincent always loses until one day he shocks Anton by outdistancing him, and Anton, who cannot keep up, almost drowns and has to be saved by his genetically inferior brother. Well, years later, after an insatiably ambitious Vincent joins the space program and earns a place through his merit on a mission to Saturn, the brothers decide to have a rematch out in the water. And once more, the underdog bests his fraternal rival, who again must be rescued from drowning. Astonished at all of this, and the turning of the tables, Anton turns and asks his brother, quote, how are you doing this, Vincent? How have you done any of this? And that's when his brother replies, you want to know how I did it? This is how I did it, Anton. I never saved anything for the swim back. I never saved anything for the swim back. I just gave it all. Is there any area of your life right now where you're saving a little too much for the swim back? Where you're not really taking the risks that God is calling you to take? Where you're playing it safe? My encouragement, based on verse 6 in the scripture, is to go for it. Sow your seed. Cast your bread. The great missionary William Carey once said, expect great things from God and then attempt great things for God. Sometimes I watch these poker shows on TV. I don't condone gambling, okay? I just watch the show. It's just a show, all right? And if you watch it, there's this one point in the game that I find to be really interesting. It's where an individual takes their whole stack of chips, all the chips that they have, and they push them to the middle of the table, and they say these three words. You know what they are. I'm all in. And when they say those three words, what they mean is they got rid of their safety net, and to do that was very uncomfortable, and now they would either lose it all or they would win in a way that was much more than a normal round. I'm all in. Friends, my encouragement when it comes to serving our Lord is to go all in for the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many things we don't know, but there are some things that we do know. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for our sake became poor, and through his poverty, you might become rich. He 
sowed the greatest seed of all time. He sowed the greatest seed that will ever be sown in the history of the world. The bread of life himself cast himself on the waters for you. That's the good news of the gospel. And then, after having received this good news by faith alone, he then turns to you and to me, his followers, and says, follow me. 2 Corinthians 9, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Go for it. Oh, Pastor Dave, what if they don't appreciate all I'm giving, all I'm risking, all I'm doing? Let me bring Mother Teresa up to the stand. She said, do good anyway. You remember this quote, right? People are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you're kind, people may accuse you of being selfish and having ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you're successful, you will win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. If you're honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend your years creating, others could destroy it overnight. Create anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, some may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today will often be forgotten. Do good anyway. Give the best you have and it will never be enough. Give your best anyway. Because in the final analysis, Teresa says, it was between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. As the worship team comes to lead us in one final song, let me close with one more quote from Amos, the CEO of Aflac. He's now 70, and he learned to evaluate risks while studying risk management and insurance at the University of Georgia. Among his many risk-taking pieces of advice, he gave this nugget, never risk a lot for a little. Never risk a lot for a little. Friends, many things about life and even following and serving God involve risk. We can't avoid it. But with Jesus, we never have to worry about risking a lot for a little. Our risks for him are always worth it. My encouragement is to risk with wisdom. Can we pray together? God, would you help us today to apply this text to the area of our lives where we have been stewing and sometimes even ruminating with anxiety and fear. Help us, God, to strike that balance of being both sober-minded and courageous at the same time. Teach us what it means to risk with wisdom. And when we do so, help us to leave all of those results up to you, knowing that you, our greatest asset, are never, ever in jeopardy. So help us, God, to step out in faith and honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.